The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. Ali, we don't have any time to waste because the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft was last night. So we're going to skip the intro. We're going to skip everything and get right into it. Ali, I know you were doing a day two mock round two and three. Big props for that, by the way, because I know teams were very trade happy and a lot of picks were changing hands in that, you know, 33 to 100 range. Uh, First off, you know, biggest takeaways from round one. I know a lot of things to talk about, and we've got a few major topics to discuss here in the, in the next few minutes. But general takeaways, just off the top of your head, what are you feeling? Well, we, we went into this 2022 NFL draft with with, with the most unpredictable um, excitement ahead of, the, of round one. And it absolutely 100% lived up to it. Last night, I don't remember a draft. Um, in the time that I've been watching the draft as a fan or covering the draft as a as an analyst, I do not remember a draft that A was as wild, B was exciting, and C was as unpredictable as what we got last night from surprise picks to trades to, you know, we're, we're going to talk about some of the key topics coming up. But man, that, that's my biggest takeaway is it was wild. The first night of the 2022 NFL draft was as wild as Source Gardner's suit and Nike McQuarrie's suit absolutely sharp as as anything those two guys the drip was insane man the drip was insane i love i love seeing that but yeah for sure it was a wild draft a lot of unpredictability which we knew coming in all right but i think we were even surprised by the amount to which the the degree to which it fulfilled that reputation so i was very excited by that i mean i guess we should start out with who won in your opinion i feel like there's a few teams that stand out as teams that had better hauls than most i think you know, Baltimore is one that really stands out to me. I really liked what they did, uh, getting Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum, trading back and getting Tyler Linderbaum, you know, and trading away Marquise Brown, who was on a contract year. A lot of value there. I really liked what the Eagles did as well, getting Jordan Davis, a very good fit for that defense, and then obviously trading for A.J. Brown as well. Who won the NFL draft, the first round of the NFL draft in your eyes? Because I know even beyond those two, there are a few more candidates to uh, discuss. Start spreading the news. New York, New York. We're used to saying Texas is back in college football circles. I think after the first round of the 2022 NFL draft, the city of New York is back as a footballing superpower. It's been a while since either of these two teams have been relevant, I think is an appropriate word to use in terms of Super Bowl contention and challenging for for any sort of um, divisional um, recognition, really, compared to you know the, what they've been used to historically. Last night, for me, the city of New York was the, the true winner because the Jets and the Giants absolutely aced the 2021 NFL draft process. And it started right at the top. Big Apple sauce is going to be the pun that you hear out of me for the big next apple sauce. Oh big apple sauce it's the pun you're going to hear out of me for the next 12 months because i absolutely and unashamedly love it as soon as Aiden... no, the biggest thing that ali needed was a new pun to use my, goodness. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> like the minute the board fell trayvon walker aiden hutchinson Derek stingley jr we knew we were going to be in for a good draft because the options that everyone that the Jets needed was there. There was still edge, top offensive tackle, top wide receiver. And and for, for, for a lot of people, including the Pro Football Network big board, consensus big board, 
the top cornerback in Ahmad Gardner. And I, I wrote an article this morning. And I said, the New York Jets haven't had a true lockdown corner since Darrell Revis moored his island to retirement bay. Now they have a six foot three, big armed, relatively fluid, relatively fast lockdown cornerback, potentially. And that's the first pick of what turned out to be an incredible haul for both sides of MetLife Stadium because they then scooped up the top wide receiver. So we're talking about the Pro Football Network consensus top 300 big board. The New York Jets scooped the top cornerback on our big board. They scooped the top wide receiver on our big board at Garrett Wilson with 10, which I absolutely love the fit there. It's something we've discussed on this podcast before, I think. Garrett Wilson as a, as a weapon for Zach Wilson was superb. And they... They sandwiched what the Giants did, which I think was even more remarkable at picks five and seven because Kayvon Thibodeau was the top edge player on my board. I know he was the second second ranked on the, the, the consensus. Kayvon Thibodeau was my top ranked edge player. The Giants needed to address both sides of the trenches. And what they did, they went out and got my top edge player. They went out and got our, our top offensive tackle on the, on the big board. That is just four picks there of insane talent that – it's the it's that rare opportunity where you know we talked about draft philosophy on this podcast. It's the rare opportunity where best player available meets team need meets team fit. It could not have gone any better for the city of New York. Then, in the depth, at the end of the first round, New York Jets trade back into the first round. I'd already written Boye Mafe as their first pick in the second round, that pick thirty four, pick thirty five. They trade back into the first round and get our top-ranked edge player in Jermaine Johnson, who we sat here in, uh, well, separated by thousands of miles, but within within our little Slack channel, uh, NFL Draft Slack channel, going, hey, what is happening to Jermaine Johnson? Because we just couldn't figure it out. And you even saw it on the NFL Network broadcast. Daniel Jeremiah couldn't figure it out. Jermaine Johnson is slipping, slipping, slipping. Jets trade in, halt that slide. The city of New York has our top-rated cornerback, top-rated offensive tackle, top-rated wide receiver, top two-rated edge players. You cannot tell me there is a better situation for both of those teams. No one else had a better draft night last night than the city of New York, the New York Jets, and the New York Giants. Yeah, New York hit it out of the park. I mean, both New York. And New York needs it more than most areas, you know, so I'm, I'm happy for them as well. But as you mentioned, you know, I think the Jets, man, I mean, top top four, top 10, Ahmad Gardner, Garrett Wilson, you know, Gardner, not my CB1, but I, I do like the fit, you know, Robert Sala, you know, they played a lot of four, three, you know, cover three downfield. So, you know, in those zone concepts, he can, you know, he uses length and explosiveness and instincts very well. Garrett Wilson, our top wide receiver, the three level ability is really what kind of makes him a notch above the other guys. You know, you talk about separation at the catch, run after catch ability. He's got it all. And I think he can be a very good safety blanket for Zach Wilson. But then the best pick, man, trading back into the first round for Jermaine Johnson. And we had no idea why he was dropping. I know Tony Pauline on our live show, you know, dropped a nugget that maybe character concerns are playing a hand. That's the thing with character concerns. They can be so nebulous sometimes. Sometimes they pop up and then they go away. Like, we don't know why it popped up. I, I, I was talking with Cam about Jermaine a couple of weeks ago, you know, and it was clear in Georgia that, you know, he transferred out because he needed an opportunity. And maybe early on in that Florida State season, like very early on, there were whispers that maybe he wasn't practicing at 100%. But somewhere along the way, things clicked for him. And and he he got back to 100%, you know, over 100%, hot motor on every down. You know, and at, at the Senior Bowl, we kind of saw that. He was dominant and he was not taking plays off at all. You know, I'd like to think that with every young player, 
you know, there's a, a maturation process that they have to undergo. And I think with Jermaine Johnson, maybe that was the case along the way. Maybe some teams did some digging down back back then and kind of, you know, picked it up and like, oh, wait, maybe we should pick this guy. But, you know, I look at all of the recent evidence. And to me, Johnson was very much worth a top 15, a top 10 pick. And he goes to the Jets at 26 overall. This is a guy who has it all. He's 6'5", 254, 34 inch arms. He's got burst. He's got bend capacity. He's got power capacity. He's got hands, violent hands. I, I love this dude. And I think that, you know, as long as he stays on the course, you know, as long as he, you know, stays consistent and prepares, he's got all the traits to be that dominant edge rusher that the Jets have been seeking for such a long time. And you have Carl Lawson coming back from injury. You know, I really love the potential that's there. And I think if you're the Jets, the best thing they could do was be aggressive and trade off for that. And then on the Giants side, bolstering the trenches with those two first round picks Kayvon Thibodeau I think he's a great fit opposite Aziz Ojulari as a stand-up edge rusher he's got explosiveness out of this world he's got great power capacity and then Evan Neal you know I loved that fit that was one of my favorite players to mock to the Giants was Evan Neal because you have Andrew Thomas at left tackle who's already holding that spot down Evan Neal can play left tackle he can play right tackle he had experience at right tackle starting uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide so put him there 6'7 337 very good footwork, very good hands, very good athleticism. He's got power capacity, grip strength. You know, there is not a lot of holes that you can poke in Evan Neal's game and bolstering the trenches on both sides of the ball, especially if you're if you're in New York trying to maximize Daniel Jones for the window, the remaining window that you have him, you know, trying to see if he's the guy, right? This is the best chance to do it is protect him. So New York was obviously phenomenal. I loved what they did. You know, I think a lot of the teams that had multiple picks really came away with a successful first round. And you can talk about, you know, the Jaguars trading back and getting Devin Lloyd was pretty good. Even though Trayvon Walker, a little bit of a reach at number one, in my opinion, there were, there wasn't really another choice to make because no one, no player has the upside that he has. And at, at the end of the day, well, he is raw. You have some alignment and versatility with him early on, you know, a, a lot of good stuff to talk about with this draft, but we got to move on to our next topic. You know, the quarterback class, we, that was something that was, consternated for a long time before this draft came into play and a lot of mocks had Malik Willis going as the first quarterback off the board now we're on day two and he's still on the board he didn't even get picked the only quarterback who got picked in round one was Kenny Pickett to the Pittsburgh Steelers and we'd seen throughout the offseason that maybe the Steelers liked Malik Willis I mean they took him out to dinner they talked to them a lot at the senior bowl you know so that was the union quarterback team union that we were really expecting. And then the Steelers kind of hit us with, Oh, we're taking the hometown kid. Ali, what were your takeaways from the quarterback and how they kind of fell off the board or how they didn't fall on the board? You know, in the class, we knew it was an underwhelming quarterback class. We knew that they weren't going to go quite as high as we've seen, but I think there's a gut feeling in me, at least that the quarterback tax was going to, you know, come to play again and kind of bolster their value. That didn't happen. Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback off the board at 20 overall, and no one else came aside from him. So looking at the quarterback class, what are you thinking after this first day? Yeah, you mentioned the quarterback tax, and I think that's the, the greatest way to put it. You look at the odds makers coming into this NFL draft first round, even though we knew, or say we knew, as analysts, we didn't have a first round grade on any of these quarterbacks. The odds makers set the line at two and a half for the under over with the quarterbacks because we know a two things the nfl will always reach for a quarterback because the position is so important we also know that there is a number of quarterback needy teams in this nfl draft cycle and although we talked about the derision of this this quarterback class there was always the feeling that despite the lack of obvious day one talent 
at least two guys, probably three guys, would would sneak into that first round with, with Kenny Pickett, with Malik Willis. As, the, as the, the process developed, it felt like it'd be Desmond Ritter would be that guy. Sam Howell, Matt Corral, kind of on the outside looking in as, as potential day two guys. We get to day two, and Kenny Pickett's the only guy off the board. Now, yes, there was a lot of talk about Malik Willis for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the pick itself makes a lot would have made a lot of sense. It often often you find in this process, it's the team that spoke to you least. You know, talking to prospects for, for three of the years, it's you always find that it's the teams that you spoke to the least who end up taking you. We saw Trent McDuffie, who never even visited with the the Kansas City Chiefs before his selection there last night. So there's always some smoke, some 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 rumors, some association, and 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 that's. You know, that's what's happened with Malik Willis in this cycle. That it felt so perfect that he'd be at the Steelers, but it, it, it is Kenny Pickett. And I think what you've seen in this class is we've talked about bridge quarterbacks um, for teams like Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, with Drew Locke at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you're seeing that the quarterbacks are probably going to go in this day two range because they're not ready to hit the field day one. You know, we talked on this in, in our quarterback preview show. Kenny Pickett is probably the only guy who can see the field on day one. When you take a player in day one, regardless of position, you want to see an immediate return on your investment. You want to see them be able to hit the field on day one. Now, that's not saying Kenny Pickett will, but what we're saying is that he can. Whereas most of the other quarterbacks in this class, we've said all along, probably can't see the field day one. They're going to go in the range that they really should have gone all along without a quarterback tax. So it's super interesting. I, I can't wait to see how it unfolds tonight because we're looking at the Detroit Lions, Atlanta Falcons, Seattle Seahawks, New Orleans Saints potentially, looking at landing spots for Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Carson Strong. Look for Bailey Zappi and the Carolina Panthers in round four. I know that's you know we're, we're two days away from that, but that's a situation I could really see playing out now that the Carolina Panthers, a team that desperately needed a quarterback, would normally be reaching for a quarterback at six. They did the smart thing and put an offensive lineman in char- in, in Arkham McCormick. They needed that, and they needed that cornerstone of the offensive line because it doesn't matter who you put behind the, um, the, the Carolina Panthers' offensive line from last season, they would have been set up to fail. They've set up now to succeed with a game-changing offensive lineman now we'll see how the quarterback piece falls for them maybe later in the draft. But yeah, super interesting. Makes this day two, the start of this day two, I think is going to be absolutely chaotic, frantic, hectic. We're going to see these quarterbacks go, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think you look at the top few teams on, on day two, there's a trade-up opportunity. If you really like a quarterback, if you want to get one of these first guys off the board, you can do that. And if you're the Buccaneers, if you don't like them, you can trade back, get some more picks, right? So there's going to be more movement, I, I anticipate, you know, and you mentioned maybe Bailey Zappi in round four. There's still four guys, you know, even five guys. You know, you got Carson Strong, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Sam Howell. I'm, I, to me, it's relatively realistic that one of those guys is available on day three. Even I, I'm not sure I see all of them going off the board on day two, you know, especially with how apprehensive teams have been towards investing in this quarterback class. So very interested to see what happens there. I feel like the value with Malik Willis was always a little inflated because of his athletic tools, the physical tools. You know, he's obviously an exceptional athlete, an exceptional creator, has a rocket arm for sure. But, you know, and we talked about this during our quarterback podcast. 
I finalized his tape. I charted a few games of his tape and a lot of warts kind of came up to the surface that weren't really being talked about. You look at the field vision, the processing, you know, the decision-making, all of it, you know, scored subpar for me. And that those are important parts of quarterback play. You can have all the upside in the world, but if you don't have that, you're going to flame out. And with Malik Willis, obviously there's a huge ceiling for sure, but there's also way too much uncertainty for me to be comfortable taking him in round one. And with Kenny Pickett, you know, I get the apprehension for him too. You know, I don't think he has the ceiling that Malik Willis does. I do think he has some traits that are a little underappreciated. I do think he's a very good athlete. I think he's very good off platform. And I think that, you know, like you said, when you're talking about mentally, what do these quarterbacks have? You know, I would like Pickett to be more poised. I would like him to stand in the pocket and deliver some throws. He escapes out the back door a ton. He gets happy feet a ton. Needs to improve his poise. But I do think he has the processing ability. He's shown he can work through progressions. He's shown he can see the field. And most importantly to me, he's shown that he can use his eyes to manipulate defenders. He knows how to use his eyes to open and close windows in the short range and in the deep range. And that's very important for me. And then having the off-platform ability, the athleticism, I think his arm is good enough. I think it's very elastic, can generate velocity off-platform. You know, not quite that arm that's going to drive into, into deep windows consistently. But at his peak rejection, if he can improve his poise especially, I think he's a guy you can win with. And, you know, people gloss over the competitive toughness too. This is a guy who played through a high ankle sprain in 2020 after coming back just 26 days later. You know, this dude is a guy – you know, that your team can rally around. And I think he has enough talent to potentially be a Derek Carr type quarterback who's going to help you compete and stay in competition. So, you know, I love the story staying in Pittsburgh, obviously some uncertainty, but, you know, with this class, looking at all of the question marks surrounding the other quarterbacks, he's probably the one that I would most want to bank on in round one. Now, I don't have a top 50 grade on any of these guys, but if you're, if you're limiting it, if you're constraining it to that, that's probably what my take would be. So, you know, I'm happy for Pickett. I hope he succeeds. And I hope that these other quarterbacks find good landing spots on day two, because as you said, with Malik Willis, a lot of these quarterback needed teams have bridge quarterbacks in place. And the biggest thing that Willis needs, if he is going to reach that ceiling, is time. You don't want to throw him into the fire right away. So give him that time, give him that good landing spot where he can, you know, take his time, kind of acclimate to the NFL game and add to his physical skill set that would be a good situation for him. Desmond Ritter, if he can improve his mechanics, he can be a very good quarterback. You know, there's certain things that these quarterbacks need to work on. And the biggest thing is landing in a spot where you can be enabled to improve those. So very interested to see what happens. We know Pickett went round one. At this point, we have no idea what's going to happen for the other quarterbacks. But real quick, we are almost out of time for this podcast. Trying to keep it light, trying to keep it short, trying to keep it efficient. Ali, real quick, the trades, so many trades. Uh, not just, you know, not just trading back, not just trading up, trading for players, too. I mean, what were some of the biggest trades? And I know you have a unfortunate firsthand experience cobbling together that day two mock with all the trades that were happening. Which trades kind of stuck out to you the most? Could be a trade back to acquire a player at, at high value or a trade for, you know, an NFL player who's got experience. What stood out to you last night? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the very obvious trade is the, the Detroit Lions trading up in conference with the um, Minnesota Vikings to go up and get Jameson Williams at pick 12. Um, it was super intriguing um, trade and, and, it, and triggered, I think, by the trade before that, which saw the New Orleans Saints trade up to 11 to get Chris Olave. You had Garrett Wilson go, then Chris Olave go. And I think the Detroit Lions looked at that situation and they were like, oh, hell, we're going to miss out on a wide receiver if we stick uh, at 32. Um, and they shot all the way up the board to to twelve. Grab Jameson Williams, obviously coming off the back of the injury. There's, there's, you know, maybe 
some apprehension there amongst Detroit Lion fans, but you know now you've got a game-changing wide receiver who, if he if he comes back to full health with the explosion, speed, pace that we saw at Alabama, it doesn't matter how far Jared Goff can throw, just a little dump off to Jameson Williams, and he's taking that baby all the way to the house. And the byproduct of that trade was Lewis Cena, 32, for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to let you chime in on this because I know some of the Minnesota Viking fans are not happy that they traded back with the uh, the Detroit Lions, got Lewis seen when they were in position, they could have taken Kyle Hamilton. Um, a lot of De- a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans not happy about that. I don't think they realize how good Lewis seen is. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing here, I will say this: I think they could have and should have tried to get more on that trade back. That was a big trade back. I, yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things. It's not just the Lewis scene element. It is the feeling that they got shafted by the Detroit Lions with that pick, with that trade. I think that's one of the big yeah. uh, gripes with Vikings fans. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I can understand that. I will also say Lewis scene, I had him rated slightly higher than Hamilton. Now, I had him, Hamilton, and, and Daxton Hill all in my top eight. They're all phenomenal players. Lewis scene, I think, is supremely underappreciated. And I, he was a guy that I would be willing to take in the teens. You traded back, you got extra picks, and you got him at 32nd overall. To me, that is phenomenal value. I love the fit in Ed Donatel's scheme, getting a safety who can play, you know, any coverage that you need him to, cover one, cover six, cover eight. You know, he's a very versatile safety, and he can come downhill. He's very good at processing those runs quickly, very explosive, very rangy, hard hitter. He's got length. You know, there's really not a lot that he can't do. And I think alongside Harrison Smith, especially, I love that fit. And I think that the upside is immense with him. So for the Vikings, I I love the fit. I love the player. And in principle, I love the idea of trading back. I think you could have gotten more picks. But overall, you know, I think you ended up a big winner in that whole saga. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, uh, that that's that's kind of how I look at it. I'm, I'm up there with Lewis Seen um, as well, and I think in the long term, eventually, I think Minnesota Vikings fans will um, come to appreciate what they what they've got with Lewis Seen for sure. Um, yeah, for sure, I agree. Any other trades? I know we're we're basically out of time here, but any other trades that stand out to you? Any closing thoughts that you want to get out real quick? Yeah, I just the, for, for me that we we talked about it in the early segment. The Jermaine Johnson trade from the New York Jets for me is just pure genius. Um, I, I I'd already got them um, written down for for an edge rusher in um, in my in my mock draft I was working on, and then they trade up and get Jermaine Johnson. We've talked about how good he is. I, I think for me that's that was a standout. I mean, the, the the fact that there were so many trades for blockbuster wide receivers as well. Just, I think it was clear that this was a very dominated, wide receiver dominated first round of the 2022 NFL draft from a number of perspectives. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And some quick hitters before we head out. You know, I think Atlanta getting Drake London was a pretty good pick. Maybe a bit of a reach, but I do really like the fit. Got the size, the all-around ability. Uh, another another pick that I really liked is Zion Johnson of the Chargers. The Texans actually traded, you know, and got, they got um, Kenny Green who is a little bit lower than Johnson on my board. So the Chargers getting the top offensive guard, I think he fits really well, can help Matt Filer move to right tackle. You know, that was a very good fit. And then Daxon Hill, at 31 at the Bengals. I kind of question the fit because you do have Mike Hilton in the slot already. Jesse Bates and Von Bell are back there. That said, you know, Von Bell is not quite a guy that's going to preclude me from taking a safety. And I think Dax Hill can really do everything you need him to, play the slot, play the boundary, play either safety spot, even some single eye. 
And with Jesse Bates, you know, on a one-year deal, you know, maybe that's some future investment too. So a lot of smart picks in this first round, you know, a few questionable ones, Tyler Smith, Cole Strange, but again, those guys have the athletic upside. So as much as, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rag on the immediate utility right now, because if, you know, after max projection, if these teams can get the most out of them, they could have the last laugh. So we will see, again, we don't know what's going to happen. you got to be open to all the outcomes. That's kind of the big deal here with the NFL draft. So the first round is in the rear view mirror. Uh, obviously, everyone, thank you for listening. As always, uh, we've been breaking down the positional groups this cycle, and now obviously a lot to talk about with the round one in the book. But we still got a long way to go. We got two more days in the NFL draft. Day two, rounds two and three are today. A lot more picks to talk about. And then right after, day three, uh, going from noon on Sunday, uh, or wait, Saturday. So on Saturday, yeah, I got I got my days mixed up. But going from noon on Saturday, rounds four through seven, and then even the undrafted agent frenzy, uh, that's going to be fun too. So we are still got a long way to go, a lot of ground to cover, but uh, stick with us the whole way. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you as always for listening. Have a good one.